they don't know how to talk. The YouTube video, once you publish it, it's live. And once you take it down, it's dead. You have one shot really to create this video. And if you, you delete it, then you got to start over again from zero because it's a new video now. With a blog post, you make a mistake, you just fix it. You have a, a landing page, you said the wrong thing, you forgot to do this or this, or you had the wrong stats, you just fix it in like a few seconds or a few minutes. But YouTube is much more permanent. It is permanent. And you need to have a much better strategy and much better planning. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com AWT and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Bernard Mayer. Bernard is the Senior Director of Content at Crea and Creative at Omnisat, with a passion for good research, great writing, helping e-commerce businesses with their marketing needs, and beating absolutely everyone in Mario Kart 64. Bernard, welcome. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, really excited to talk to you about all this kind of stuff today. I like when people read the last part of my bio because I just sometimes add it in there. Uh, I'm still looking for someone who can beat me in Mario Kart 64 because I was undefeated for 10 years, 10 years ago. <laughs> so maybe it's changed since then. Either, uh, but yeah, it's really great to be Nintendo? here. Nintendo 64. Okay, yeah, I, I used to have that. I used to own that. When I was growing up, I, well, I still have five, four brothers and one sister. So when I was growing up, there was no time for me to play these long, complicated games. I only had time for these really sm short, quick games. So it's the only kind of games I can't play right now. Well, 10 years ago, let me say that. Time flies, right? Um, yeah. So this was the short version of your, your, of your bio. Uh, for people who are interested in the long version, can you please share you know, a few things about you and like your journey? I can, I, I was thinking about this. Um, I, I guess I would share two parts. One is more on the personal, like life side, and then the other one is on the professional one because they meld, I think, together pretty well. Um, so one thing that I think is important, uh, the way I approach content and communication and all the stuff is that I have lived now for about a decade in each part of my life on different continents. So three different continents in three different periods of my life. Uh, I was uh, born in Cape Town in South Africa. So I, I you know, I grew up there. Um, and then when I was about 13, yeah, 13 exactly, we moved to Miami, uh, became a citizen, did all this thing, went to college in Indiana. And then uh, around 2009, when the great crisis came, happened, I moved back to Miami. And then I left. I went to Asia for two years just because there was no real jobs unless I wanted to work at Starbucks or something. So I decided to take my bachelor's degree and just teach English, you know, so that was kind of my first official uh, introduction to, to this kind of content and communication kind of things. And then uh, for the last few, about 12 years now, I moved to Europe uh, and I'm now living in Lithuania. So when I first came here, I was teaching English, uh, just, you know, just really trying to find better ways to communicate important things about the language. Which, you know, some was grammar, but a lot of it was just cultural or just topical kind of things. 
Um, and then this kind of teaching went into, you know, then you start doing a little proofreading, a little editing of, of, of content, and then you start creating content. And eventually, um, I think my first really content, like more longer term job was for NordVPN. And I, I just saw that you you had a, your guest, your previous guest was uh, Laura from Surfshark. Uh, so they're within the same family now. So we're in the same city, actually. Uh, but then I went from a little bit of that and then to a German company, a SaaS company. And that was like my first introduction really to SaaS because it was a full time. And then I actually, after that, joined Omnisend as a content marketing manager. So I was just doing the content, taking care of the blog. Left and I went to Testnet and Cyber News and it was really high intensity, let me say that, because it was a lot of stuff going on. And then I, I joined Omnisend again, like two, two years ago. Um, and eventually uh, became director of content and now senior director of content and creative, as you mentioned. For people who have never heard of Omnisend before, can you please share a few things about uh, Omnisend, what you know the the product is and who gets the most value? Uh, yeah, so I think I will be very concise here because <laughs> we've been working on this kind of positioning stuff for quite a long time. In the shortest sentence uh, sense, it would it we do email and SMS marketing for e-commerce stores. So e-commerce stores, you know, the growing ones, the new ones, the ones that are established, the ones that have a little trouble, the ones that are, you know, trying to really get a lot of value from email marketing and SMS marketing, they are the ones that are going to get the most value. So we take all the, it, assuming that they already have traffic to their store, we help them collect the subscribers with some pop-ups and some other, you know, landing pages, that kind of stuff. And then we help them to build relationships with those people that they just you know, uh, add it to their newsletter list. So we're not just talking about just getting sales. Okay, sales is the number one thing. You need you need money to 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 achieve success, to stay in business. But what we're trying to get people to understand is that it's not just make a buck. You know, we're not just in this dropshipping zone like we were a few years ago. Now it's like build your brand, build your customer loyalty, so that you do not have to continue throwing money into Facebook ads and you know burning money on on those PPC ads. If you have your email marketing list, that is your list, your own net list. And you need to continually uh, nurture these people that you've just collected into your list and give them value. And not just capture value from them, but also provide them value. So they came to you because they like your products probably. So give them your story, give them your background, build your brand. So we are trying to continue like from the first touch on the website until 20 years later, you have that customer you have that relationship with your customer and we are trying to get, you know, we're helping people at least establish that relationship and keep those customers around for longer. Okay. Um, thank you very much for explaining that. Now, going back to your title um, and <laughs> your your kind of position at uh, OmniSend, my question, I guess, is how are content and creative tied together? It's a good question. <laughs> It came about, uh, I would say, relatively recently, just a few months ago, in an official setting, I would say. But okay, let's zoom out from what content is. So usually when we talk about content in SEO terms, we're talking about blog or some landing pages that are really focused on, you know, some sort of tool or something that you're doing to attract organic visitors. But here in you know, content also serves the need of everyone within the organization. People need content, we fulfill these requests. So at this point, my view is that everything is content one way or another. It's information, it's communication, just converted in some sort of form. So with content, usually we talk about textual content, blog content, right? And landing pages, this copy, but also visuals. And so then you get to this part that content is creative. It just, the amount of creativity depends on really the purpose, the function, and the format, and the channel, all that kind of stuff. But it is all kind of really content. And so we have begun to conceive of content as something that is fulfilling a need, organization-wise. And this is actually very... Uh, so yeah, so this is how creative uh, joined forces with content team, because I also took on the YouTube uh, channel management and social media management. So all these types of communication forms, uh, they're, they're now within the content, I guess, team. 
But one thing that we began to realize, seeing as we now consider content to be a fulfilling of requests, is that we have to separate SEO team because SEO team is not within the content team. I know some places SEO is within content, but in Omniscient, um, we, we don't have that uh, set up. So blogging, uh, SEO and content had been and still continues to be extremely tied together. And at some point we didn't see any differences, but now we do. We are fulfilling the SEO strategy, right? We work very closely, I would say 99% closely with SEO, but still on a conceptual level, we are production house. Uh, we will fulfill requests. And so that is kind of how we justify content and creative coming together at the, in the same team. What would you say are the main pillars of your strategy, content strategy and creative strategy at Omnisend? Um, so you're asking about content strategy or SEO strategy? Content. Oh, content. Okay. So yeah, so content is, our aim is to communicate our value or to provide information that our audience, our target audience actually needs. So, you know, again, content, the main purpose, like I said, is to fulfill some request. But the way we do it is by being, I wouldn't say blunt, but to be honest and to assume that our target audience has some knowledge and not to, you know, I hate it when, when I go to a website and they say, everything you need to do from A to Z, we are the best X, Y, Z. You know, most likely you're not the best and you most likely do not fulfill everything from A to Z because you're, you're just having this machine gun policy. You're just trying to shoot everything at the same time. Throwing stuff at the wall and hoping, to, waiting to see what sticks. So our content strategy is really just focusing on our core user, figuring out who our customer is, talking to them, trying to understand, trying to get in their shoes, you know. And then we take these goals that we want, if it's SEO, if it's some sort of a PPC campaign, a video campaign, affiliate campaign, whatever those campaigns are, we are trying to meld those two together to say, can we create this? Can we do this campaign? Can we fulfill this, the, the requirements of this project based on what we know about our customers our, or our uh, target audience? So that is kind of where our content uh, strategy is really just to be the representative of the customer while trying to talk to the customer. If you know what I mean. Yes, I know what you mean. You're very active on YouTube and you're doing some pretty interesting things there. Can I ask you, what do you think of YouTube as a channel for like reaching your audience and communicating your message? And also why do you, do you think is, is, is the case that, you know, most B2B SaaS companies like don't use YouTube as a vehicle for like communicating the, their message? Uh, the honest answer or the logical one? <laughs> I think the honest answer is that it requires so much more investment in YouTube than a uh, blog post, right? You can, you can get by with blog posts, especially now with ChatGPT. <laughs> you can get out 1,000 blog posts in like two days, just Content, 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 not even content, not even great content, just a thing, a result, lots of results on the page. And when it comes to video, I've seen also where they try to do this in an automated, you know, let's say cheaper way, but it still requires a lot of time. Sometimes the cheaper you try to go, the more money you spend or the more time you spend because you're trying to work around this very basic thing. Uh, so that's why I think that more just in terms of investment, I think that's why more, well, actually, not so many SaaS companies are on um, YouTube. I think the second thing, which is, um, I think, yeah, which uh, just a, a guess from my side, is just that they don't know how to talk. The YouTube video, once you publish it, it's live. And once you take it down, it's dead. You have one shot, really, to create this video. And if you, you delete it, then you got to start over again from zero because it's a new video now. With a blog post, you make a mistake, you just fix it. You have a, a landing page, 
you said the wrong thing, you forgot to do this or this, or you had the wrong stats, you just fix it in like a few seconds or a few minutes. But YouTube is much more permanent. It is permanent. And you need to have a much better strategy and much better planning. And I think a lot of SaaS companies, they still go on this MVP mode where we just do the minimum viable thing and we try to get the thing out as quickly as possible and hope for the best, you know, depending on the phase that they are in their, in their, in their startup. Um, and yeah, so I think when it comes to YouTube for us, we do um, see value on it, but we've only started, I think, seriously, maybe six months ago. Like this year is the first time where we're saying, okay, let's really, you know, tighten our belt and let's really go for it and figure out what it is that we want to do. So we spent Q4 figuring out the strategy because we want the strategy. We don't want to just do a, a bunch of random stuff. And we got the, I guess, the confidence in that, that if we, if we did these things, then we will see these things over this certain amount of time, over this time frame. So, um, we are now more active on YouTube because we hired a YouTube manager. Um, he's in my team and we have invested our time and invested our conviction. I would say even more than that, we're, we, we have conviction. We have belief that this is going to work out and it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of finding out this perfect key that fits into this perfect lock and we can open that door. But, um, so our current, um, main goal on YouTube, as you mentioned, would be just doing primarily to increase our brand awareness. We want people to see our name, even if they don't remember it the first time, you know, how these touch points work. They may not remember it. They may not be able to recall it, but they see it and they see it the second time they say, okay, it's not so unfamiliar the third, fourth time. They're a warmer audience than if we just approach them completely cold with some PPC ad. The PPC ad would work better if they had already watched a video that mentions us or that is from us and we have some omniscient logo in the background. So yeah, so anyways, this brand awareness is a general, very vague, very difficult to measure kind of thing that we're looking for. And the second step um, is that we see that a lot of e-commerce businesses, they, many of them are run by one person or the, the main marketer within that company. They're doing a lot of things because it's like three or four people. And so instead of researching, like maybe we, in our companies, we are spending weeks researching one SaaS product to figure out which one is the best. They're, they have a list of things they need to do. And one of those is just get an email marketing program. And so they go to the first, they type in best email marketing program or email marketing e-commerce, email marketing Shopify, whatever these YouTube SEO keywords are. And they look, watch one or two videos, and then they make a decision. So our main competitor, they're winning on that one currently because those that name is mentioned more. So we want to also be in the conversation, right? So this is kind of, it's a very new strategy. We're still working on it, but we're increasing that. At least let's say we're decreasing that gap by increasing the amount of mentions that we have, either from our own videos that we, that we um, record in-house or from some affiliate or some influencer that we're working with. Um, and then, yeah, the second thing is just Practical, you know, when I need to figure out how to build a chair, I go to YouTube because it's a visual thing. And many SaaS companies don't, may not, well, they know this, but they may not really think about it. But a lot of times people just want to see what your product looks like. Before I even sign up, before I even go to your page, I want one, I want a visual. I want to see how it looks, how it feels, how people are able to interact with it. And I want an honest, unbiased view or review of this product. And so I'm looking for not just to see the product from your channel, but I want to see the product be used by other people. So, you know, these people, if they're looking for your keyword on YouTube, they just want to see your stuff in action. So we're also trying to 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 kind of tick both of those boxes. Can I ask you, to do the last point, can I ask you, do you think that an unbiased review can come from, for one of your competitors can come from you? I mean, do you, I mean, at the end of the day, I think people know and understand, but do you really think that, you know, a company can be unbiased when it comes to either like itself or competitors? I, this is where it takes a lot of bravery on your side to be as unbiased as logically possible. So one thing for us is that if we are doing an alternative store comparison, 
article or now we're, we're, we're doing those videos as well. Do not lie to people. Do not present yourself better than you are and do not present your competitor worse than they are. Because this is, in my opinion, it's a sign of disrespect for the audience and the intelligence of the audience, you know, to think that the audience will not figure out that you're lying. Like I said before, those us, those pages that says, we deliver everything and we are the best XYZ for all your problems. I know that's a lie. I know that's bull. I know that's not true. <laughs> So bunch of BS, and so I don't trust the source anymore. I'm not going to go back. I actually write off of that product completely because I do not want to continue down this funnel where this person is lying to me or this company is lying to me. Because then, what? A, how far can the lies go, and how good can the product actually be if they're not brave enough to say we are for this, we are not for that? So when we do these reviews, uh, I think it's not just a matter. I think one is, again, the audience intelligence, the audience level of experience. I think they are better able to detect BS because we have so many affiliate videos and so many SaaS and so many blog content, you know, so much content and information around the world. And they, they, they engage with, I don't know, seven, eight or 10 per day. I think at some point they, they begin to get a BS detector. And so one, you don't want to turn off your audience by saying something that you know is obviously not true in the audience. and you're saying something about a competitor that is obviously not true. It is, however, highlighting what you believe is the most important. If you have a product that is not good, you have some things to work on before you should approach YouTube. You know, you should fix your product, have a good product first, and then go to YouTube or, or your blog, and then talk about, highlight your product not just in the best light, but based on this need that you have, for example, we do e-commerce and our, one of our competitors, MailChimp, they don't do e-commerce. They do everything. So it's a point of strength, but it's a point of weakness as well, because they're not, they don't have certain features which are made for, um, for e-commerce stores. And if people go there, they may get lost because it's like a jack of all trades, you know? And so people see that they're not very strong with this particular need and ours. We are very strong in this particular need. We know exactly what we need to focus on and we're improving it every day. So when it comes to our main competitor, Clavio, for example, we are very comfortable saying that we are evenly matched, more or less. There are one or two points, we're cheaper, you know, that's like 40% cheaper than them. That's something that we can honestly say and we can present the facts and we can present an Excel sheet that shows the data. So there's nothing that we are hiding behind and we're not really being dishonest. To say that we're unbiased is also not true because, you know, of course we're going to like our product more, but we tried just to present the objective parts and have a list. Like if you can put it on an Excel sheet and have that be accurate and to say that your product is better, then I think that's fair. And that is not really biased. This is the one, like the one you, you described where like you're almost even, uh, to your, uh, competitor, like what will be the ultimate like determinant of whether someone will go with omniscient as opposed to Clavi or whatever solution what do you think is it is it the brand play is it like i have many more touch points with uh this company and like i have seen them more and been exposed more to their messages yes so this one is is definitely the brand play when people think of it is it it is still uh, when talking about MailChimp, for example, the keyword for MailChimp is bigger than the keyword for email marketing. There, more people are searching for MailChimp than they are for email marketing because they know the brand represents everything, like Coca-Cola or something, or you know, Nike for shoes. You know, they they have this understanding of that. So we understand MailChimp's weakness when it comes to e-commerce specifically. So for e-commerce, Clavio is very similar. They know the name. It's a complicated name. <laughs> But they know the name or they associate the name or they have people within their e-commerce like industry or their their peer, their friends group who are using it. And so the, this experience direct or indirect or just name recognition is enough to send people that way. So our goal is not to say we have conviction. We believe that we are better than Clavio. That's obvious because why else would we be working here, right? We know our product and we know we're better. It's not about necessarily to say that Clavio is horrible. It's to understand that Clavio is good, but there are other alternatives. And so one thing is that 
we we completely beat them on on pricing, for example. If you compare, this is going to sound like a pitch, but <laughs> if you compare, like the price that you pay for Omnison versus the price that you pay for Clavio, you would end up paying like seventy five percent more on Clavio than you would on Omnison. And you know, we so that is one point. And then customer support is also great with us. So it's just saying that, look, first of all, you made an Omnison, but by the way, we're we're very similar to Clavio. So then you, the, the audience has a, some equation in their head. So, okay, I know Clavio, at least I've heard of them. So Omnison is similar. So what? And then you approach the differences, which is that, you know, cheaper, better customer support, you know, and some other features that are also better depending on their need. So those are the things that we're trying to aim for. You know, we're not going to belittle Clavio uh, just to, to be overly competitive, but we're going to say that, you know, them, we're very similar. And we have these two big ways in which we're better. So, and one of the things is then depending on your channel, depending on, you know, where your customer or this prospect is in the funnel, you push them either go with us instead of Clavio. If they're on Clavio, they can come try us out. Or, you know, just to say logically, both both of these products, both of our products have free plans. You can just test them out and see which one you like better. And that's it. That is the whole pitch, you know. Again, we're assuming that the audience is intelligent and that they know what's best for them. And we're just showing them there's not just one door, there's two doors. And from your perspective, they're actually pretty equal. Once you walk inside the room, then you will see which room is better fit for you. But you need to be aware that there are different rooms, different doors that lead to those rooms. And that's it. Going back to Omnisense target audience, which is, you know, you have a very clear targeting in e-commerce businesses, which is great. Do you think from a con like ideation standpoint or more broadly like on a strategy standpoint, do you think that it can also be limiting in the sense of MailChimp can, can talk about everything related to marketing, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Or like email marketing, but not just for e-commerce, right? Mm. While, I mean, have you gotten to a point where like there is nothing else to, to talk about. Um, uh, I guess my question is, I can see the benefits of having a very like a clear targeting, but are there any drawbacks from a content strategy standpoint? I think that one is that if we ever get to the point where we have nothing else to talk about with e-commerce and marketing, that would be great. <laughs> We've cornered the market. Total address, you know, the total addressable market is saturated. Either they use us, or they tried us, or they're using us currently, and they, you know, whatever. But we've got there, and now we need to expand horizontally to some other products, as you said, e-commerce, uh, email marketing, general email marketing for bloggers, influencers, that kind of stuff. Uh, so that would be a good problem to have. I currently, though, I, I, I haven't seen the the bottom of this e-commerce email marketing yet. Um, and one of the reasons is that we are solving problems for people who are constantly changing and they're living in the world that is constantly changing. COVID was a great time for e-commerce. COVID was a horrible time, but it was a great time for online business, right? And a lot of money was made for everyone, customers and SaaS products like us. And those times are over and now we are in as you mentioned earlier, we are in a difficult time. It's in a time in which people are looking at how do I, not whether I lay off people, how do I lay off people, which people do I decide to lay off, and will laying them off cut into my profits because there's also severance, you know, like all these kind of business things, which are extremely difficult questions to have, but they are there. They're at the door of this kind of reality check and this is the reality check in which the the hill is going downwards we are looking at a time in which there will be worse stuff coming up recession is not slowing down it's it's actually just starting hopefully six months later we'll have a better view but at this point it's looking very difficult and so this is a difficult it's a different time it's a difficult time but it's a different topic it's a completely different market and so we need to approach that as well and be flexible to approach this market. These are the people that are alive right now. And these are the people that are figuring out if they can continue using email marketing, if they have 
if the ROI is there, if they're paying too much, if they have the right tools within the email marketing program that they're using, you know, there's a lot of features that we have and not everyone is using all those features all the time. So there are things that we can do and there are topics that we can focus on, which is now, okay, let's slow down all this stuff about, you know, extreme, like we're still focused on acquisition, but look, it's going to slow down. The recession is coming. There's not going to be so many new online stores opening up. Let's shift the focus and let's try to push harder on the people that we already have and try to get them to make more sales because there's, you know, a good majority of them, 60% are doing things that can easily be improved and the other ones are doing things that can be improved with a lot of work. So we are, need to now continue to focus on these people. We were focusing on them before, but let's push harder because now the time requires them to spend less on, on, on Facebook ads and more on just trying to survive. So we will help them survive. And when the time is over, we'll switch <laughs> again to better times, to flourishing times, and then we will have those buckets of topics. And I think this cycle is not is not a circle, it's a cycle. It's going forward horizontally into the future. And so we're not really repeating anything. We're just adapting to the needs of our customers, or our prospects. So that's why I think that, and especially from a creative perspective, if you have a, a blank page and everything is, uh, is possible, all topics, all things, you can write fiction, you can write non-fiction, you can make a movie, you can make a podcast. Everything is possible. You will end up doing absolutely nothing. As you have just this paralysis, not what I need to do, but what if I do the thing that is wrong and then it turns out horrible? How do I know that this is the right way to go? But now the way for us is pretty clear. E-commerce, email marketing, and SMS marketing. We go down that direction and we discover each of these is... Uh, not even the house unto itself, it's a city, it's a, it's a continent. There's so many levels to each topic. So at the moment, like I said, I don't think we are exhausted. We have exhausted anything yet when it comes to our specific niche. So you haven't seen the bottom yet. And there is, you know, there are so many things that you can still talk about. And at the same time, you have to adapt to, you know, new market conditions and like kind of shift the focus to different things than yeah. like uh say six months ago um yeah and you like please this is also really um it really also speaks to how well how often you speak to your customers and how well how do you have your fingers on their pulse if you're not talking to your customers and you're just looking at data data points after data points then you have no idea what's going on in the world you're stuck in a small three foot by three foot or okay nine foot by nine foot room and you are just like you have this weather app and you're looking at the weather app on your phone and you can just look outside and check the weather and have better information when you open the window and see what the weather actually is like. But now, if you're not talking to your customers, you're just relying on indirect data and you don't know exactly what is going on within the customer's fears, you know, essentially. Like you're not going to see within the app, the usage analytics that the customer's scared of the future. You're not going to see this context, you're not going to see the full 360 picture of a human being. The data represents the behavior of a human being. And this is going to sound very interesting coming from a company that is, Omnisan is data-driven company, but personally, I am not data-worshipping. I feel that a lot of, like there's, data is useful. I don't bow to the shrine of data, you know, I think that a lot of times we, especially SAS, especially Silicon Valley, people look at a screen of data points and they do not realize that every single row, every single data point that you're adding is taking you one step away from the context of that data, which is the human being. What is their story? What do they want? How do you know that they want it? When's the last time you talked to them and just asked them, how are you doing? Not even the question of how, how much do you like this feature, but how are you doing? How is everything going? And you just talk to them and you see what happens. And this is going to give you, it's not just qualitative, like contextual data, but it gives you inspiration because you can see, you can look into the eyes of the person that you're helping. You can see that you're helping them. And this is going to lead you to think, okay, how can I help them more instead of how can I increase this particular data point, three percentage points over the next seven days, which is, I guess, it's one of the shames of, for me, SaaS industry, just this very growing 
huge ass gap between what we're doing for people and our understanding and our communication with human beings with people. Do you talk to customers? I mean, um, the content we, team specifically. Yeah, we talk to customers. Uh, we talk to our partners. Um, we do a lot of um, product marketing, so we interview customers for specific campaigns. We also have this um, initiative within the company called Wonderful Day and Support. You just sit down and you work on the supporting, or half a day, or full day, or many times per month, and you see, you, know, you, you okay. 60% is going to be really banal kind of everyday kind of problems. But, you know, once in a while you see just how you feel when someone just says, thank you. You solve my problem quickly. You get some motivation to help you do your work better. Or you figure out that you see that this problem is more important than you thought it was or that there is a problem that you didn't even know existed, at least from the content side. So now it's like, okay, maybe I can help create some piece of content that moves us a bit faster forward. So yeah, we, we, we try our best to regularly talk to customers. You mentioned the blog earlier and the fact that nowadays, especially with the rise of AI, it's much easier to just, you know, spin out words and create, I don't know, I don't want to give a number, but let's say many blog posts. Uh-huh. My question is, do you see the, the blog being, becoming less important? Um, as other formats like video, you know, have a more I feel like, or it will have its, it will be there. It will have its, you know, position and it will always play a significant role in the life cycle journey. Yeah. I think the latter, I think that one thing is that people have mentioned that email marketing is dead for the last 30 years. And, you know, still here, you know, still growing, uh, and still not just growing, but like it's a profitable industry for our customers. Uh, so I feel like the same thing here with the blog. Um, the blog is just a, a, a hosting of information. This is where you can find information. The question is, why would people stop coming to the blog would be, okay, maybe organic search is dying. People have said Google is dead for the last 10 years or so. Everyone keeps talking about how TikTok SEO is going to work out. I tried TikTok SEO. It is horrible. I mean, the information is absolutely, I don't know where it's at the moment, but it's really completely unreliable. And I know that it's unreliable. It's not educational. It's too short form, right? So I don't think TikTok SEO is something that's going to be a challenge for Google um, or other or, uh, you know SEO um, search um, services. I think that what I am trending towards is what I think other should also do with. It's difficult to say because, you know, SEO. And I mean, like, you know, SEO. We have a piece of information that we can communicate in 500 words, but sometimes you got to add a keyword here and there because you want to have more traffic. And so we end up with long articles that have long introductions and they, they're they valuable in a way, but in aggregated way, like looking at all of the people that came to this page, this blog post, this article, they, on an aggregated level, they got value. But looking at one person specifically, I answered the questions of 10 people where maybe I could have just answered the questions of one person and divided it and made 10 different articles. However, I believe my SEO would suffer, right? The, the organic visits would, would drop, and I don't think that 10 of those combined would equal this one ultimate guide to XXY. Um, but what I'm moving now towards is really two-sentence introductions. Really, just get to the point and make everything shorter and faster and more concise. Not to stop talking about this, you know, SEO, this important topics for SEO, like what is topic. Mention it, but really talk about it quickly and talk about it uniquely. Talk about it from your experience. This is what email marketing is. And if you're this, you know, I can add my own experience in there or the writer's experience in there because I know what I'm talking about. And I know that I'm adding value to the person who doesn't know what email marketing is. 
So what I'm saying is that I think that the form of the articles, I think will change. And I think the patience of readers for long bloated content is going to decrease ever more. Not that we need to slap a video in there at all times as we did when Facebook video first came out and we just, everything was a video. Now it's more just some things are videos, some things are PDF, some things are tools. We were trying to embed more tools just to make this page more useful and more memorable for people. So I think that it's going to be a format change. It's going to be a change or die situation, but it's not going to be the death of blogs in general. People are going to look for full information. A blog is a great way to host information. And that's it. I think lately... Unless Google dies, then we will die. Yeah, of course. I think lately about the fact that, uh, you know, most people skim through a page and they don't like... It depends, but especially visit visitors from search, in many cases, not in all cases, of course, because there are exceptions, but they skim through the page, right? And when you see screen recordings of how people consume content, blog posts, you will notice an interesting thing, which is that people are kind of, they, they stop while this, they're scrolling down the page. They stop on elements like, you know, like custom elements you may have for quotes, yeah. right? Or um, some type of like visual uh, element mm -hmm. that kind of draws their attention, right? And so I was thinking about the fact that we may have to start being more comfortable with the idea that the content we produce will not be like written like line by line, uh, read by people line by line, but they will just skim through the page and just scan it, right? And we may have to create content that kind of serves that purpose, right? I don't know. Yeah. But I agree with you. I... I I'm actually trying to remember like the last Hotjar or whatever user session recording I saw where people did not skim. <laughs> I've only seen skims like you see this quick scroll, visual element, some sort of bullet point or some bolding. We have a lot of these elements and they stop. And I, I'm always trying to put myself in their shoes. Like, are they now just validating whether this article has value? They're going to skip this intro. They assume maybe the intro is BS and they're just looking for, okay, give me the answer first quickly. If the answer is good, then I'm going to go up and I'm going to read the whole article. If the answer is not, for me, easily seen within the first two or three scrolls of my mouse wheel, then I'm just going to go back and find another search result page. So I think maybe it's just the fact that they're also, you know, BS detectors. They're just saying that I've gone through so many. I think I know what I'm going to look for. I know when I'm, when I'm going to find it. So I'm just looking for that quickly. So actually one of the things that we did was we deleted our featured image from our blog posts. And it was a weird thing for me because I had been so married to the idea because I had never seen a blog without a featured image or a header image. And then a few years ago, someone, an SEO person challenged me and said, you know what? We don't need it. No one cares about it. Only the writers know. And so I was like, what are you talking about? Everyone needs, you need a featured image or else it's going to look empty. And then I realized that I read a lot of articles recent, not recently, like two years ago when we did it, where I didn't realize that the, this header image was missing. I was just reading the information and there was no need for me to scroll down because within that screen, I have four paragraphs already, the top of the fold, right? So, and then I began to look at the creative part, design burden, right? You, you Every single blog post you will be publishing, you have to have this you know, featured image, we're doing like 1900 per quarter, maybe a bit more, some updates as well. So it's for the designer to come up with something new 120 times per quarter, it, they want to commit suicide. So it takes long for them. It takes long for us because we have to wait for this image to be ready. And really it's decorative. 99% of the time, this header image is decorative and it really forces people to scroll down depending on how much space your, your header image takes. So we just removed it and all good. I agree, and it's we came up. Has we, you know, we came up no. with the the same conclusions after applying changes to quite a few at this point client uh, clients' blogs, where we, in some cases, we completely removed, or in other cases, we just like, um, let's say, reduced the time needed and the mm -hmm. like, uh, clicks needed to scroll down the page, right? And it's 
especially in one case, it had a pretty significant impact because we didn't do anything else besides just removing, in that case, the, the featured image altogether, right? So I think that, uh, yeah, we will see more of these things um, moving forward. Second to last question I have for you. Um, yeah. What do you think the future holds for SaaS marketing? And if you want to be, you know, to talk specifically about content marketing, that'd be fine. It's, uh, it's a difficult question. I think that what we had before in the times, the, the times of jolly and happiness and 0% interest rates was SaaS companies starting getting investors and throwing a lot of money into PPC and just winning by that. And that was, was it five years? Was it, you know, it was a very, at least based on recent memory, it's, it feels like it was a very long time where some company just has a million dollar valuation based on nothing at all. Actually, and I think now in France, there was an AA company that has $250 million valuation and they ha don't even have a team. So maybe it's that time is not really over yet, but in any case, that was SaaS marketing for a while, which is just dump a lot of money there. Um, and then the, it freed up more, I guess, the organic space for other companies. You know, So they were either doing PPC or they're doing organic, but they knew that organic was difficult. So these new uh, money-heavy companies, they were just throwing it into PPC. And so it was slightly maybe a bit easier for, for the other companies to focus and to spend time on organic search, um, organic results. I think that we are now going to see companies just don't have so much money to spend on ads on PPC. So they're going to have to adapt and find other ways in order to distribute their content. Um, so yeah, it's going to be organic and it's going to be... I, I My negative assumption is that it's going to be polluted a bit. Not only the fact that they don't have money to spend on PPC, which means that they have to focus on organic. Also, the fact that AI is going to make it so easy for them to create this content that it's just going to be just oh, a sea of this kind of stuff. Um, and so it's going to be more important for us good marketers to really understand and focus on the customer. Have this image, this mental image in your head of what that customer is and how they speak and what they're looking for. And not try to reach everyone, but try to reach that one person or those few people or that group of people. And then to speak their language and speak directly to them. So marketers now have to be much better at writing and communicating the value. And they're going to have to, they had to do it a while ago, but now especially I think it's going to be much more challenging that they're going to have to really focus themselves and understand what they offer essentially and what benefits that they have and what value they bring to their customer. And if they cannot do that, they're going to be lost in this sea of just information. Not even content, just information. You know, I, I don't think that in any way that there's, there's going to be less content being produced from this point forward. It's going to be more, it's going to be a lot more. I saw a, a video on Twitter where a guy was had a few API connections with ChatGPT and, and some other tool that he was using, and he was just publishing content every five minutes. You know, it's 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 a lot of content, and it's going to be a lot of crappy content. Um, and I think that one way is that it good content will more easily rise to the top. But also, if you're starting out, it's going to be difficult for Google or anyone to know that you have good content. And so you're going to have to you're going to have to be very innovative. You know, guerrilla marketing tactics may be cool comeback. People jump from skyscrapers. I don't know. <laughs> they will need to be much more innovative about attracting new attention. And the quality, the ones that are already established, they're going to have to, you know, really have this conviction. They're going to have to double down on what is working for them. They're going to have to explore other areas that they think could also work for them, where their target audience is. So it's a lot more work for marketers. It's not going to be so easy just to throw an ad behind it and say that's it. I, I don't think this is bad, by the way. That's a good thing because it, it can push us all be more creative and not just you know, throw, uh, throw out dollars uh, to our problems. And, uh, you know, I, I see that as a, as a good thing. So that was all very yeah, insightful. Uh -huh. uh, 
sorry. Yeah, so I think like that. I, I really think that this is uh, it's a thing that is going to be a transition period for consumers. I'm like, you know, for consumers, it's going to be more difficult because they're going to see a lot of content, just a lot of low quality content. But from our side, it is good because it's forcing us to to, to change. So we're we're doing push ups, we're doing pull ups now, <laughs> and we're going to get stronger. And we're going to build that muscle, and then when the good times come back, we will see that the strong companies that really thrive now are going to be, you know, have exponential growth when recession is is over, more or less. So I'm hopeful. <laughs> Me too. Um, it was all very insightful. Uh, Bernard, last question I have for you. Where can people find out more about you uh, or Omniscient and get in touch if they'd like to? Well, yeah, Omniscient is the Omniscient.com. Um, for me, I, I, will, I, I am averse, social media averse. I tried my best to like it, but I just, I cannot, <laughs> I cannot, but I, I do post from time to time on LinkedIn, um, when inspiration strikes me. So you can just find me there, um, LinkedIn. Oh yeah. And as I can, uh, you can just search for my name, Bernard Mayer, Omnisend, and then you will find me there. That's great, Bernard. Thank you very much for, uh, coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure and looking forward to for like follow up discussions, hopefully when like the economy will not be as rocky and uh you know <laughs> yeah yes yeah uh, hopefully in like six months so we can talk again thanks a lot George. it was really great to talk thank you for staying with us until the end before you go i'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode ahs ahs provides you with an all-in-one seo toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis keyword research and technical audits the best part you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.